What? Oh, oh. Shout. One second, please. Hi, and thanks for listening to Designated Driver, the podcast about the work and mystique of Adam Driver. I'm Liz. I'm Malia. And today we're going to talk about the movie Patterson. Indeed. But I think we were going to start with a quick acknowledgement of our technical problems last time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say anything about that, Liz? Sure. I mean, I'm on a journey to make every mistake possible with the recording equipment that we have. We had a couple episodes where the internal microphones from the recorder were picking up the audio instead of our external microphones. So that's why we had two episodes that one person sounded good and the other person sounded like they were in a closet somewhere else. I think we got that worked out, but I also realized if I take the card out of the recorder before I hit the stop slash power button, uh, it doesn't save onto the card. So I've made that mistake two times, <laughs> lost two <laughs> recording sessions. It is funny because both times when we were using the internal recorder, we were like, wow, we sound great. Like when I got my new microphone, we were like, can you hear my fantastic microphone? But it turned out it's just because the recorder was facing me. It was pointing at you. Yeah, the like microphones attached to it were pointing at you. So it's an opaque process because you don't get feedback right away with the system that we have. We're just recording it. And then we hear how it sounds after the fact. Mm -hmm. And I've been always super nervous about it and crossing my fingers every time either delighted or disappointed with how it turned out. It's a thing that happens when you're self-taught and you don't watch any videos or read anything, <laughs> any instructions about how to do something. You just start doing it, which is usually what I do. We're learning as we go. <laughs> but I think the other thing that I would say is of any podcast episode that could be not recorded, in a way, it makes sense that it was This Is Where I Leave You because... If you read our Facebook page, we put a list of all the things we didn't like about it on the page. And there were many things that we did not enjoy about that movie. It's a bad movie. Adam Driver's fine in it for what he does. He is part of my favorite scene in the movie where he has this little conversation with Tina Fey. I'm sure there was very cheesy music in the background like there was in all the conversations they were having. Probably. I can't actually there might not have been though. It might have been yeah. just quiet. We were kind of thinking that we would use this time to talk to, about the few things that we did like about the movie and particularly that we enjoyed about Adam Driver's performance. Uh, great actors. In yeah, it. I don't blame the actors at all. I think they were doing the best they could with the material they had. I think they must have signed up thinking it was going to be a better movie than it was. To me, it seems like a money-making venture. And it did make money because everyone was tricked to go see it because it, it just wasn't clear that it was going to be so bad and there were so many good actors in it. And even after it took a few 15 minutes or so before it started seeming really bad. And I it think just, it was pretty bad. Right away, yeah, just so many cliches. Lack of explanation. But we liked it when Adam Driver picked up Tina Fey and a pack and play at the same time. And there was, do you want to say the line that he says? He says to his older sister, Tina Fey, you're the voice in my head. You're what I hear in my mind. But I thought that was really sweet and it stuck with me as the forces that form you when you're a child that you probably don't even realize. So that was cool. Yeah, it was very sweet. His fiance in the movie who he Loved betrays her. is a favorite of ours. 
Connie Britton. Is that how you say your name? Yes, okay. and and that's why I gave an extra half comb in my review <laughs> was just for her hair. I gave it a flat one comb. I don't even know what the one comb was for. I guess it was for Adam Driver. There was one scene. There was one other scene at the end between Adam Driver and Jason Bateman that was very sweet, where they were saying goodbye to each other and they did this touching foreheads thing that was like a family thing that the family did and it was very sweet yeah I think a big theme of the movie was male bonding and so maybe if that resonates with you maybe it's better to me it seemed very mostly douchey yeah it was it was douchey and I didn't like the trajectory that any of the female characters really had they didn't have it they had nothing. well except they got dumped and treated bad and had bereft reaction shots that lasted too long. Yeah, and some of the other scenes were too short. Yeah, yeah. None of it was done well, except I think the actors were doing the best they could. Or maybe they didn't care. I don't know. I'm sure they had fun. Tina Fey, she's so good, such a good writer, such a workaholic, I think, too, Mm -hmm. and a perfectionist. I'm just surprised that she'd be in these, like, bad movies. But I guess if you get a chance to be in movies make a ton of money it's probably really fun you just i'll just do it i don't care Mm -hmm. but i feel like she's not really doing that now it seems like she's writing things and well i mean mean girls that's a great movie i love because she wrote it yes i mean that's her yeah movie that's that's this is where this is where i leave you which i think titles shouldn't really be like a sentence Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a title I have a complaint. So we're huge fans of the podcast You're Wrong About. Mm-hmm. And I listened to all the You're Wrong Abouts. And then I listened to all the maintenance phases. And then I was kind of adrift. I mean, I got caught up with cocaine and rhinestones. But I need to hear my friends. So I did look at You Are Dads, uh-huh. Sarah Marshall's podcast yeah. about movies, which I, I thought started. thought Why Are Dads. Why Are Dads. Yeah, what did I say? You Are Dads. Oh, Okay. I th- it looks like they changed their name to You Are Good. Oh. And I was like, that's not a good change. I wonder. It's not memorable. It's like a phrase. Why what are dads? What does that mean? I don't know. There's a lot of episodes, and I just listened to one that had a special guest who is the author of Culture Warlords, which I brought up in the Black Klansman episode. Talia Lavin was on. So I was like, wow, I'm going to check that out. So that's amazing. But I think the title thing, being yeah. a phrase or just always hard to remember. Well, speaking of if if we're in pop culture now, I just finished. I read, I listened to all nine episodes of Welcome to Your Fantasy yesterday oh, okay. or this weekend. It's pretty good. Recommended? Yes. My only thing I'm interested in your perspective. So, Welcome to Your Fantasy is about the Chippendales, and it's kind of a true crime. It's about the two men who shaped the Chippendales, who also hated each other. <laughs> oh, so well. two men shaped it. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. N- yeah. So no women male. Are. Okay. But the gal who hosts it every week talks about how she's a historian, but she's also a certified fitness instructor, and that's great, good for her. But anytime she has an opportunity to say heteronormative, she says it, and uh-huh. she's like, as a historian, and then <laughs> heteronormative. And I listen. I like history. I mean, I worked for the Minnesota Historical Society for almost 20 years. I think it's great. But I just, it was so annoying. She just kept like, we historians, she would say something like heteronormative or some other, you know, as historians say. And I was like, okay, I mean, I guess you are a historian, but (laughs) it was just annoying. 
That sounds like a lot of heteronormative. She was pretty into, I can't remember what other words. Are we in a pop culture crime podcast or are we in like a self-referential history conversation? Because I want the pop culture and I think you do too. So I don't know. I don't know if it was her idea to zhuzh it up with some historian words. But aside from that, (laughs) it was really, it was, it was fun. I recommend it. So it was mainly about Chippendales dancers and it was mostly about her being a historian. Subtext. I mean, it was definitely about how she's a historian, <laughs> but it was about the two men who shaped it, how Chippendales came to be and how they rose to unbelievable heights. And they interview a lot of the dancers, which is kind of fun. I didn't know this. One of the dancers who danced for them longer than anyone else, like 20 years, his name was Mike Rapp. He ran for president. He was a third party candidate against Dukakis and the first Bush and uh, his slogan was, I want what you want. So that was kind of fun. That's kind of sexy. <laughs> Speaking of weird titles. <laughs> what is his political leaning? Unclear. Oh, okay. Just, I'm... He wants what you want. Okay. Okay. That's so accommodating. Yeah. <laughs> so that was super... I mean, I enjoyed... I really enjoyed hearing about the Chippendales. I went to see the Chippendales once when I was in college. You and, did. Yeah. And it was all the things that they did... They, like, explained all the thinking behind... I mean, there was a lot of thought put into the Chippendale show, so it was fun. I, I went as sort of a joke, but it was Secretary's Day the day I went, and I went to college in Iowa, and I went to a casino in Iowa, and it was bizarre, but also super fun. And the one thing I remembered was one of my roommate tucked a dollar in the guy's g-string and he like rubbed against us and i had chippendale smell on me for like 24 hours they have this powerful cologne pre-axe bodies right? i don't know what it is so it doesn't exist anymore it's just like 80s no, the, and 90s. It, well it does it, the the chippendales club doesn't exist anymore but there is still a show and they have a long residency in las vegas and they tour mm. other places too the thing I associate with it is the movie Summer School. I've never Mark seen that. Harmon, I think, is. You've oh, never seen it. He's no. like a teacher who's like a surfer and teaches summer school. Is he I, also a stripper? No, but one of his students is in summer school because he's a Chippendales type dancer and he's loving it. I mean, he's in high school, so you know, because of all the older ladies who, mm-hmm. you know, he gets to hook up with through this. Through doing that, that's so funny. That movie, I, I saw it multiple times. It was one of those, you see mm-hmm. it a lot. I feel like there's no cultural memory of it. And I wonder if it's unstreamable. I'm going to check this out. Yeah, you like, should. I don't think anybody's remembers this movie. It's like don't. a Chippendales angle. They had a workout video, too. Oh, okay. A funny. sexy workout video. And it kind of seems like that should exist. Mm-hmm. Strippers for ladies? Well, their point... As a or anyone who's interested in is that, hot guys. Yeah. Now there's like 8 million strippers for ladies, but Chippendales oh, were the first because okay. there's like the Thunder Down Under, and then there's. That's a person? No, it's an Australian oh, oh, it's another, version. Okay. okay. And there's one called Adonis. Also, this shouldn't be a surprise as a historian, sorry. <laughs> as um, a, what would you give yourself? I mean, I. It so there a whole subplot about racism in the Chippendales, both in the the way the audience is allowed to come in or not, and also among the dancers. So one dancer started an all black review, and there is still an all black 
stripper review. I can't remember what it's called. So there's plenty there's plenty of choices now, but the Chippendales still exist also. I just never hear about ladies going to... They still go. I mean, I think we're just... We're just in a different bubble. Yeah. I think in Las Vegas, it's still a hot ticket. Kind of seems like this is ready for some kind of a revival. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, actually, they pointed out Magic Mike was kind of its okay. revival moment. Okay. I haven't seen that. I do you want what? to. I know, I know, I know. It's... Wait, are you pro McConaughey or um, yeah. anti? I am. What are you? I am I am on the McConaughey train. Although yeah, I, I like think him. he looks kind of weird now. Joel, my husband, 10, I know you all know that my husband's name is Joel, <laughs> but he is a member of AARP. Are you a member? You could be. A, I'm a no. member of AARP, even though Age-wise? I'm Age-wise? Uh. As soon as you're 50, I think you can join. So he joined. I just want to tell everyone I am not 50. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> I'm not quite. No. I mean, <laughs> but I will embrace it but, when I am. But Peter is. Yeah, like, yeah. He could, we so, get things in the mail. Yeah. So Joel joined because we wanted a discount on a ticket or something for something. And so as soon as your Discounts. husband joins, you can join. So I've actually been a member of AARP since I was 40. Wow. Anyway, so we get the AARP magazine and uh-huh. McConaughey was on the cover recently and his hair looked like a toupee i don't think it is oh but it looked really bad and mm. i i was disappointed but i liked it when he was doing his tour train for green light his his memoir did you oh i read an article an interview with him and he was during the pandemic just kind of with his family traveling around yeah yeah i i read a long article and i really really liked him i mean he's got that texas vibe which is it's really an appealing vibe. I've never spent time in Texas, and there's the whole, I mean, they seem bazonkers most of the time to me, but the sort of laid-back dude with a little bit of an accent is a cool mm-hmm. thing. He's aging well. When guys like that, heart, heartthrob guys, like, are really young, they just seem like such assholes that it's off-putting to me, and then as they age, they get more appealing. I mean, he may run for governor, or I don't know if this is a, <laughs> if he's really going to do it, but I mean, uh, he's... not, yeah, governor of Texas. You know, he is a professor at UT. He teaches acting and, I think, screenwriting or yeah. something. So sometimes he'll show up with little glasses on. But Greenlight, my face, mm. speaking of funny titles, he's really into, it's not green space light, like when you green light a script. It's okay. green light. Okay. It's one word. Okay. He right. he he's, clarifies that in interviews a lot. He, he coins that. Yeah, I'm into it. So he's in Magic Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is magic, but then you know what he else? is him. No, actually, no. no Channing Tatum okay, is okay. Magic Mike, okay. but he's he's like his mentor, mm-hmm. which then also reminded me of what's that movie with J Lo that came out a few years ago when she's a stripper? Yeah, Hustlers. I think that's it. I I didn't see it, but loved heard it's that great. movie. It's really good. I'm still sad she didn't get an Oscar nod for that. J Lo is fifty. Hustlers. Hustlers. She I, looks amazing in it. Yeah, I mean, she looks amazing. So if someone looks great at 50, I call them. I say they look J-Lo 50. I saw her do on a late night show, like in a comedy dance contest. And yeah, she's she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm bummed that she seems to be back with Ben Affleck, though. Mm-hmm. I don't like him. She can do better. Do you mm-hmm. remember when he got that dumb tattoo and all of his exes were like, mm. What is it of, got, the tattoo? He got like a rising phoenix on his back and it's huge and it's all in color. I think they asked J-Lo and Jen Garner and maybe one of his other exes and they were like, I guess he did oh, yeah. that. She could do better. Anyone could do better. Maybe it's just a little bit of feelings were still there and they'll, they'll burn out. And it seems like he, he gets along cooler. with their kids. 
and she doesn't. Maybe he's fine. I'm sorry, Ben Affleck. I don't know. It's fine. I hope they're happy. Mark Anthony was always creepy to me, so I don't. Do you remember her husband, Mark Anthony? Yeah, the singer, right? Yeah, also maybe the vampire. Do you ever read Go Fuck Yourself? My favorite. (laughs) I did a long time ago, and I don't. They always used to make this joke when J-Lo was out with him where she was like, I've got to go get my husband some meat. (laughs) He does look like a vampire. J-Lo can absolutely do anything she wants, and I'm sure she does. Okay, we we have limited time today. Yeah, we're recording in the morning. Work meeting coming up. So let's... Let's talk about Patterson. Let's do this. We might, yeah, need to come back together. Patterson, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to say Jim Jarmish from now on. Okay. I was looking for how to pronounce it. He did such an amazing job, and if he can do that movie, I want all of his movies to be like mm-hmm. that, and I hope he does more. I have one complaint about the movie, which I, you probably know what it is. I think, you think I may share your complaint. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, let's get to complaints later. Okay. So do you want to do a little recap? Sure. Just of what, what it's about? Liz and I, actually, I think that was the beginning of our Adam Driver journey together because mm-hmm. last summer during the pandemic, I had a movie set up in my backyard. And one of the first movies I watched in my backyard was Patterson with Liz. And so actually it was funny because I went, I had purchased it on Amazon. So when I went back in to watch it, it said, watch again. And I thought, oh, I watched that already with Liz. So it's about a character whose name is Patterson and he lives in Patterson, New Jersey, and he's a bus driver and he lives a very quiet life with the rhythms of his day and his week and his partner and his dog. And that's it. That's what he does. And he writes poetry in his... I really liked this because Chet, my son, likes to... He has a secret notebook. And Chet loves when we get... What are those called? The chocolate ice cream cones drumsticks. You know how they have the chocolate in the bottom? Chet always calls it secret chocolate. And sometimes when he's eating, he likes to stick food under stuff and he calls it secret. Like when we have stir fry, he likes the crunchy tofu the best. So he'll stick it under and he calls it secret tofu. So every time he said secret notebook, I was like secret notebook. (laughs) Yeah, one little plot hole, I think. So he's a poet and he has a... A notebook that's half full. But he's like 30 years old. I mean, I would think he'd have 30 notebooks. Yeah, that's true. It's but not... it, I, you don't know. But it seems like his poems are pretty concise, especially if they're so... Oh, yeah, and his handwriting is super dense. Yes. And the other motif is... It's not a motif. So it's set in Patterson. He's always reading William Carlos Williams, who wrote six volumes of poetry about Patterson, which I downloaded to my Kindle. I know you're not supposed to use Kindles, and it's terrible, but I did, and I tried to read it, and I went to sleep instead. But I did read the beginning, and he writes this long essay at the beginning explaining it, and the poems are framed by the same sort of rhythm. There's all this time and rhythm in the movie, like it starts on Monday and it ends on Monday. And every day you see him go through his life and he's always looking at his watch and it's his his life is just kind of segmented by the passing of time. And he's thinking of all these poetry thoughts and then he's writing them down in his secret notebook. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I agree with you, but maybe it's, he has one secret notebook, but he's got all this stuff piled up in his office. He might have some other. I hope so. I'm going to do an as an here, as an English major. Oh, yes. Poetry never made a big impact on me. I don't get it. I mean, I think it's lovely. Sometimes you read it, you're like, that is lovely. But I just never, 
am drawn to reading it or it doesn't stick with me. So that's just me. So at first, when he was first started writing the poem, I'm like, I don't think that's a good poem. I don't like it. But then it was kind of cool because he was revising it and it was getting better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about just a simple life. I thought maybe it was nostalgic to or presenting an ideal of a life that is just simple. People Mm -hmm. who are not super striving for stuff, just living their life and it's uncomplicated. He lives with his girlfriend. It doesn't seem like they're married. And I know. He didn't wear a wedding ring. It just didn't seem like they were married. Yeah, that was unclear to me. And even in the reviews, some of them said he had a wife and some of them didn't. Yeah, it was unclear. <laughs> but something about their relationship made it seem to me like they weren't married. It's like she was doing a lot of work. I mean, he's Patterson, the character, is so sweet to her. Mm-hmm. And they have such a sweet, nice relationship overall. Mm-hmm. But it's just the weirdness comes in is that he, he's a bus driver and he he has a job. She stays home and works on her creative projects. She makes cupcakes and she wants to have a cupcake business. And she has to ask him for money in a really subservient way that seems very sweet when you're watching the movie. But then after the movie, I get kind of mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> I read like three reviews last night and her character gets mixed reviews. He's so steady and she seems kind of flighty. And I feel like on some level she's supposed to be kind of a foil for him that way. But then I was asking a lot of questions like she's clearly not born in the United States. And we were looking it up and the actress is Iranian. So then I was like, well, maybe they're not married and she can't work because maybe she doesn't have a green card. So maybe she has to stay home. So maybe she's lonely, you know, because she just like at one point she thinks she wants to be a country singer and then she wants to have a cupcake business. And then, you know, and every day she's like, I'm going to do this thing. And he's like, oh, and now I can fulfill my dream of being a country Western singer. And he seems sort of surprised and she just seems really flighty. So then I was trying to like read more into her character. And I don't know, I felt like either she should just be in some of the scenes and just kind of pop up and just be purely a helpmate and then she's just not really a character or they should flesh it out because I was confused. It left <laughs> like, Why me... is she home? Why is she dependent on him? Yeah. yeah. It left me wanting to know a lot more. She's clearly very talented but yeah also childlike. Things you would be exploring at a lot younger age than they seem like a little older mm-hmm. than that. And she is extremely attentive to him and his life and knows everything about what he's doing. He seems sort of aware of her life, and he seems amused by her kind of hobbies. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing surface designer. Like, she paints curtains, her patterns, and her visual style. It just seems like it's a waste of her talent, or maybe she's going to hit and somehow figure it out. It just seems like she's trapped in the home. Her her role is just to support him. Mm-hmm. She was doing the farmer's market and the cupcake thing, and she kept talking about it. And then he saw a bunch of flour and stuff on the counter. He's like, what's all that stuff? Like, he seems shocked maybe that she spent money on it or something. And she's like, it's the farmer's market, you know. So he just was not as invested in her life. And was Jim Jarmusch presenting this very traditional gender role as some kind of an ideal? I mean, I felt like the story was about him, and the story is about how his day-to-day sort of shapes who he is and shapes his poetry and fulfills who he is. I didn't think he was positioning it as ideal. I, I just felt like he was like, we need this other character to make him content. 
And and then he like just threw in some funny stuff because he was like, I'm just going to throw in some funny stuff. Well, actually, now I'm thinking about it. All of her painting and stuff in black and white, I mean, they are such a good contrast to each other. And maybe I think that's all she exists to provide. And it's too bad. Like, it just seemed like he was trying to throw some stuff in there to make it kind of fun. And, and it ends up leaving you and me with some more questions. Also, it seemed like the dog was her dog, Marvin. Mm. And I, I wondered about that, too, because there is one point. So they have this cute dog, this English bulldog, who kind of is a character, too. It's actually a girl dog named Nellie, but in the movie, his name is Marvin. So he writes all these poems, and in most of the movie, he's just driving around, living his life. He's crafting these poems. The whole time, several times, his girlfriend, Laura, is like, you have to go to a Xerox shop. You have to photocopy your poems. And he's like, I know, I know, I know, I will. I'll do it. I'll do it. And she promises he's going to do it on Saturday. He doesn't do it on Saturday. He brings his notebook out of the office to see her when she gets home from the farmer's market. They go on a date, which is unusual. And then he leaves the notebook on the couch and the dog destroys the notebook. And then he has no more poems. And the next day he wakes up and she's still in bed and he sits on the couch and he looks at the dog and he's like, I don't like you, Mark. Mm -hmm. And that's all he says to Marvin. And why am I telling you this? Oh, then she gets really mad at the dog. And she's the one who puts the dog in the garage. And then I also wondered about that. What is, is Marvin jealous of him? Is Marvin? Yeah, Marvin barks disapprovingly when they are affectionate in front of him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he doesn't seem to hang out in their bedroom. No. It's a cute dog. It's funny when his, his head is in the window when like... Patterson's coming home from work. Yeah, I like dogs that are real dogs in movies that have a real personality. And there's this sort of ongoing little joke. They have a mailbox that slants to the side, and every day Patterson comes and he straightens it up and pushes it back into place. And then you see the dog one day run out and push the mailbox over to the side again. So they clearly have this kind of antagonism. Well, the dog leads him to his destiny at the end. So when his his notebook gets destroyed, and it kind of seems <laughs> like it's a little bit of the girlfriend's fault. It's not, but just the way it's set up. Patterson goes out to walk Marvin, and Marvin won't go the way he wants to go. Mm-hmm. So Marvin is just leading him to this waterfall and then he meets this Japanese poet who gives him a blank notebook who seems like a magical person so it then reframes it as it's kind of like a new start for him as a poet Mm -hmm. and I mean if you write these poems I mean you can write them again just because your notebook gets destroyed yeah if they're memorable enough to you you could rewrite them Mm -hmm. I think it's not like they're totally gone and maybe if they're not memorable to you they weren't the good ones. That's just true. Just write again, write them again. I mean, that's the thing about creative stuff. You can just always keep making more. And sometimes you look back on the old stuff and you're like, that was not, mm-hmm. that was me then or whatever. So not a huge tragedy. I, I like that the whole movie was just about these small everyday mm-hmm. type things. Yeah. And the city of Patterson, it wasn't all filmed there, but I mean, it's just so such a loving portrayal. And he eavesdrops on his, the people on the bus and the conversations are great yeah and he spends every day eating lunch at the falls and yeah it is and he has this sort of sweet relationship every day he walks the dog at the end of the day and he stops in at his bar and he has a beer he talks to the bartender and everybody has their little passion like his bartender loves chess 
Laura, his girlfriend, has a whole bunch of passions. There, there's this one guy who tells him all his woes every day, who he works with, and it wasn't clear if the guy was his supervisor or just another bus driver, but, you know, and every day Patterson sympathizes with him, and then he's like, this is, he always says things like, this is the cross I have to bear, this is the trial that I live with, and you see all these little words seeping in to the poems. There's a couple at the bar who have this sort of ongoing breakup and one of them is just really passionate and it's extremely gentle. It's very, <laughs> but very, yeah. Yeah, I think the idea maybe is that in the more random town, there's not that much going on, but, and people, you know, just have their day job or whatever, but they have room for creativity in their life because there's just not that much stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. There's this really sweet scene where he's walking by a laundromat with Marvin and he stops because there's this guy who's doing his laundry and rehearsing his rhyme. And I think that's Method Man, isn't mm-hmm. it? So, and he has this really complicated rhyme and you see, it's it's a really cute scene because Patterson stops and he's kind of eavesdropping and then the dog looks around the corner. So the guy who's who's rehearsing this rhyme notices the dog and then he notices and they have this little conversation and he's like this you know that I really like what you're doing he's like I'm trying to figure out the rhythm of this and he's like is this your is this your laboratory and he's talking about the laundromat and the guy's like where I hear the rhyme that's my lab in that moment I think he kind of says what the movie's about it's just these rhythms that they're yeah they do yeah doing a lot with a little so one thing I'd like to see project for Jim Jarmusch I'd like to see this movie done again, maybe exactly the same way, same words, just genders reversed. It might bring out some of the absurdity of, of the gender role stuff. The girlfriend literally kneels at Adam Driver's feet at one point to comfort him. And like same actors, same size difference, but he's the creative guy at home. And she's the bus driver, you know, because that part is just what bothers me. Mm-hmm. I need to see it done the other way to make sure... I can accept it. (laughs) (laughs) Or just like the story, you know, from from her point of view. But the movie was made for cheap. Five million dollars has made 10 million. So it made money. And this Mm -hmm. is great. More movies like this. They're cheap, really thoughtful. There's not a superhero. It's an indie movie. And it still makes five million dollars. That's decent. What did you think of the twins motif? Oh, I loved it. I mean, because I have twins. So I, the first time we watched it, I was like, twins, twins, this movie is for me. <laughs> you know, because yeah. uh, he keeps noticing twins and his girlfriend has a dream that they have twins. And yeah, I hope they do. I hope it works out for them. But I, I do. I know you've got to go, but I did want to say I, that was one of my other favorite scenes as he's walking home from work and he sees this young girl sitting by herself and he's kind of worried about her. And so he says, do you mind if I just sit with you until your mom gets back? And she said, sure. So he sits with her and it turns out she's a poet, too. She also has a secret notebook and she <laughs> reads him this poem that it was one of my fa- I think it was one of his favorite poems, too. It was all about water. It was called Water Falls, but it was all about water falling and he compa- she compares it to a young girl's hair and it was just as sweet as could be and I, I felt like that was just reminding us we're all artists in our lives and you just never know I, everyone has a secret notebook maybe so I see it as this is the life of a poet you're always maybe randomly running into other poets and these motifs are running through your life that you're writing down in your notebook and that's what it's like to live as a poet mm-hmm. which I'm not 
personally, yeah. but it was a window. And William into Carlos that Williams was a doctor the whole time, that he was also a poet and just kind of living your life and finding beauty in the everyday. And it was lovely. Yeah. And you don't have to be a you know famous person to be an artist. You know, I did text Paul D, my poet pal, mm-hmm. and he hasn't seen it yet. So he's going to watch it and maybe we can bring him back for some commentary. Yeah. I feel like we could be, we probably need to wrap up for today. We can keep talking about Patterson. Part forever. two. Patterson part two. So how many combs do you give it? I'm going to give it a five comb rating. Five comb. I mean, I was five comb all the way, but I do have that one problem with it. Just I, like when when the girlfriend asks for money, she has to do this kind of pitch to him to get money to get the guitar. And just personally, I would just never want to talk to someone like that. So I'm going to knock a comb off, even for this, which is pretty much a perfect movie and it's a movie that you could go back to and watch over and over like I saw it for the second time. Really enjoyed it because you know what's going to happen because I was in a quiet movie like that. You're kind of waiting for something horrible to happen. And something kind of horrible does, but not traumatic. Yeah. Traumatizingly horrible. So I'm going to give it four combs. We'll see. Maybe I'll revise later. Do you want to do the sign off? My phone alarm is going to go off in one sec. Sure. Thanks for joining us today for Designated Driver. I'm Aaliyah. I'm Liz. See you next week. We did it. Bye.